Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call one 800 245 6000 That's one 800 245 6000 Or visit taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. Taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. We're recording on Sunday, uh, July 10th, 2022. And this particular episode should be up on the World Wide Webs on Thursday, July 14th, Bastille Day. I don't know why people celebrate that day, Victor, because I don't either. You know, that revolution only brought misery to the world. Hey, you're Victor Davis Hanson. The Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow. I still Hoover am. <laughs> I had I, I have contract. to get a plug in for long COVID, but I still. Oh, oh you're alive. All right. People that have long COVID, we're uh, we're a special protected group, Jack, and I really resent this. Oh, finally, you're a victim. I like yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I am a victim now. I'm a long hauler. Well, listen, I I know you're soon enough going to be in Michigan, so I have to say this about you also. You are the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College, and you'll be teaching there this September or August. What's uh, yeah? Yes, I, 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 I will be there uh, the first two weeks, hope God willing. And I have to teach, you know, five, four days or five days a week. I can't remember, but yeah, um, yeah, I'm going to teach a class on strategy and give a talk on why study military history to the community and the university. Okay. I've done that for seven, hold on, 18 years, 18 2004. Years, yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah. This is the last, I'm getting old. And then after I got COVID the second time, and I haven't had as good results. But yeah. I've noticed for our broadcast, I have a formula that makes yeah. me sharp. So what does it I, involve? I take a 15 minute sauna and I put, a little uh, Vicks Vapor Rub on my forehead and stuff, and I get steamy, and my brain gets all mm. open. And then I take a couple, one Advil, and a couple of supplements, brain supplements, carnitine, creatine, and I'm ready to go. Oh, I take M and N. That's a niacin precursor, and I get a surge <laughs> of energy for wow. this. Wow. You saw, you saw I have like to do a, it because I'm, I've been losing my mind with this stuff. It has brain problem, brain yeah. information, but you've noticed. 
Well, Victor, you lose your mind. You'll still be smarter than 99% of the people in this country. So, mm. hey, uh, wait a minute. Biden <laughs> had a huge popular vote. He did. He did. Sounds Not- good. Whatever you whatever you're drinking. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Okay. All right. Well, I'm guess what? Go. We're going to talk about things. And you just talked about you're going to Hillsdale and it's going to be hi- highly intellectual. And I have to let our listeners know that the first topic we're going to talk about are tampons in boys oh. room in Oregon. And we're going to get to that right after these important messages. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advice fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love that's donorstrust.org slash just news warmer sunnier days are calling fuel up for them with factors no prep no mess meals meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like calorie smart protein plus and keto factors fresh never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash victor50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, Head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, yeah, Victor, there's, um, I don't know, it's it's kind of, uh, may seem kind of low-grade thing to discuss, but I think this is a, a typical sign of the insanity that America is uh, undergoing right now. So here's a headline from today's uh, Daily Mail, and I'm reading, again, we're recording on the uh, 10th of July. Oregon mom blasts woke new state law 
calling for free tampons in all boys' school bathrooms and says cash should be spent on books and supplies. And here are the bullet points that the mail always provides. Cheryl uh, Strittenberg, that's the name of the mom, has petitioned the Oregon Department of Education to roll back the, this is what it's called, the Menstrual Dignity Act. The law requires public schools to provide free menstrual products in all bathrooms, including those designated for boys as young as kindergarten. To pay for the dispensers, about $5.6 million would be diverted from the state schools fund, enough to pay 30 teachers' salaries for two years. Victor, this is just, this is freaking insanity. And it reminded me, and it might not be the, the easiest connection of the dots, but you know, a generation plus ago, when all these daycare programs were being shut down on these insane charges that kids were being, you know, sodomized with knives and and rocket ships going to the moon, and yet they were these these daycare program owners were were prosecuted, sentenced, some died in jail. Uh, Janet Reno, the the um, attorney general of, of Florida. Got her fame from doing this kind of kind of crap. And America looked back shortly afterwards and said, this is this was nuts. And I have to believe America's either going to look back at this Oregon law and laws like it or, or looking at it right now and saying, this is nuts. Victor, is this nuts? Yeah, it is. And it's part of the the downsides. I mean, there's more upsides and downsides, but democracy has this tendency to go into bouts of mass frenzy. You know, in Herodotus, there's a really interesting passage when these Ionians, that's, you know, where modern Turkey is, they come over to the mainland. Greece was considered these, even though Ionia was older, this is where the power was in the early 5th century. And they wanted help to break away from the Persians, the Ionian revolt. And so they went to Athens and Sparta, and they got a very, I mean, the Spartans being Spartan just said, well, how, how far away are you people from here? And when they told them, because they just said, forget it. And they went to Athens and they got this maddening, you know, roar of approval and dryly comments, it's easier to persuade 30,000 than it is a few Spartans. The point he's making is that uh, even though there's all these disunited voices and there's all these disparate uh, viewpoints, once a democracy gets into a frenzy, it's very, whether it's witch trials or killing Socrates or you name it, they're very, they're very dangerous. And we are in a mass hysteria. I think it was partly ignited by the lockdown, quarantines, COVID, the George Floyd woke revolution. But if our grandparents could come back for one day, and we tried to explain the transgender phenomenon, they wouldn't understand it. And so we're saying that male restrooms shall offer tampons. And I guess what they mean by that is 1.5% of the population considers themselves transgender, right? So maybe half of that 0.5, 2, 2 to 3 Point two to three. So what I'm getting at is, let's say there's a hundred people who use a bathroom every hour, and the school is so worried that maybe one half of one person will come in there who is a biological female, but has apparently either cross-dressed or removed her breast, and is now taking testosterone, and is a male 
but not to the extent that they can uh, cease menstruating, and therefore the school will provide a tampon for a quote-unquote male who is quote-unquote still capable of menstruating as her former self as a woman. Is that right, Jack? I think I it think is. So. You forgot to add a kindergartner. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that, I guess, is what they're after. And then it shows you that what, what's really screwed up about this society, we don't care for any of the majority. We never do. We go on these tangents. So we're going to spend all of this money and usually it's when you can't address the felony, you go after the misdemeanor. And what I'm getting at is you could understand that if these kids in Oregon are all in global 99% rankings in math and science and Oregon and, and all these states are just world famous for their excellence of their public schools. And then they said, you know what? We've done such a great job. For 10 minutes out of the day, let's just think about gender and race and we'll think it, we'll just consider it because we can't. It's kind of like the Bloomberg effect, though, when Bloomberg, you remember, couldn't remove the snow from yes. New York. Then he talked right. about supersized drinks and what the, the threat that posed to humanity of people getting too big a sugar drink. I think he outlawed them. And what I'm getting at is that they can't instruct people. Our public schools are in ruin. And yet they can find the time and the energy to go on these tangents about putting and they'll have a policy directive. They no longer they no doubt had a lawyer draw it up. They're going to have a facilitator. They're going to have a complainant. It's because they can't educate is what I'm getting at. They cannot educate, whether it's the teachers unions or whether it's the parents or whether it's the system or our schools these days, whatever the reason is, they cannot educate. And because they cannot educate, they drift or redirect in other directions where they think they can. And so anytime you see these stupid ideas and these wasted efforts that cost enormous amounts of capital and labor, you should say to yourself, this is the misdirection because the direction has been lost. And this is the tangent because the trajectory has been broken. And we're going to see it, you know, Jack, there's about a million and a, to a million and a quarter of students anticipated that have dropped out of the college system. That is, they're 18 and above, and they're projected not to go to school in November, and they didn't go the last year. And if you do the math of maybe 75 to 100 students per professor, you're talking about 10 to 12 to 15,000 layoffs, professors that will not be needed with this radical reduction in the student body numbers. And then you think to yourself, but we're hiring not hundreds, but thousands of diversity, equity, and inclusions are. So what we're going to get is we're going to have a lot of unemployed or uh, recently minted PhDs, but they're going to be told, well, you know what? There's no room for you to teach French. And there's no room for you to teach college-level mathematics, but if you want to be a diversity, equity, inclusion administrator, you can. That's because uh, the universities cannot face the reality. They cannot tell the population, give us your children. We will give you an economic product, and we will guarantee that after four years, they will graduate 
and they will have a liberal general education, and they will also have expertise at the undergraduate level. And we can guarantee you that. They can't do it, so they're going to, they gravitate into these other directions. And the people say, you know what? I don't want any part of it. So the parents, when as you said, when they look at this, they said, you know what? Where's the closest parochial school? Where's the right. charter school? How can right. I get out of this insane asylum? And the public schools are going to face the same thing as higher education. They already are. The L.A. school district, you know, it's getting rid of merit. So, well, Victor, uh, speaking of speaking of higher education and education, let's move on to Betsy DeVos. I like Betsy. I know her a little bit. I assume you might. But even if you don't, she was the secretary of education under President Trump. And we were just talking about something creepy, uh, tampons in <laughs> kindergarten boys' rooms. And uh, something creepy happened to Betsy DeVos. And uh, you're going to tell us about it. Yeah, well, she has a memoir out and she is uh, touring the country or I, I should say higher education. And she's in the memoir. She mentions that when she was injured and I guess what well, I guess the word would be what she was immobile, huh, Jack? She yes. couldn't escape. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she, she mentioned that she was one of Joe Biden's victims where he comes in and he does his creepy thing. I think in her case, it was touch her forehead or something too long. Huh. But of course, he violates the sacred space of women. And he's been told not to. And he's been told not to to such an extent during the 2020 primaries that remember he did that little video where he kind of said, well, I'm kind of. I'm kind of from the old school. I understand I've got to change and mores have changed and you can't really. But he, what he should have said was, I'm a pervert and I like to get young girls and come in from the back and blow in their ear and touch their bra straps and smell their hair. And I understand that even though I'm powerful and I violated the work the space of subordinates in most cases are strangers and, and, and daughter. Yeah. And daughter (laughs) and took a shower with my daughter, which she thought was a little bit too old, I guess I can't do that and be politically viable. So I wanted to make a fake apology and that's what he did. But, you know, I was just thinking the other day about another matter, Bill Clinton. Why is it that all of these liberal icons, these radical feminists, these champions of equality, why do they all take advantage of women? There's Bill Clinton. And there was one thing that was a common denominator in Bill Clinton, and that was he he took advantage of these women. They all, after their sexual congress with him, they were not happy people. They felt they had been in some way exploited. Why does Joe Biden... You know, where does, yeah, why does Tara Reid come out of nowhere? And then we know from an earlier broadcast that her mother at the time, 30 years some ago, was worried that her daughter had been assaulted. Why does Joe Biden continue to do this? Remember Al Gore? Remember the, was it Sex Poodle? The crazy Sex Poodle? He went into an organ. Was it, where was it? Was oh, oh. Yeah. Remember he had a massage and yeah. he said that he exposed himself. And yeah, he wanted he, a happy ending. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, they had a long, they tried to cover that up, but all of these people were icons of feminists. I'm not saying that powerful men, you know, Donald Trump and Stormy Dan, I'm not saying any of that in the the Access Hollywood. I understand that. But why do people who profess to be 
icons and guardians of women's equality and dignity, why do they always end up like this with some, you know, sordid, it's not just an affair, it's a sordid situation with Bill Clinton and biting the lip of somebody or, you know, Paula Jones in a room of quickie or blowing some girl's hair. It just, it's creepy. And I don't understand that. I don't really, I really don't understand. I think it has something to do with the loss of deterrence. And that is that a lot of creepy people profess that they're feminist. And then they feel, then women lose their deterrence around them because who they wouldn't dare do that. And they buy an indemnity policy. So a Bill right. Clinton or a Joe Biden or an Al Gore thinks, you know what? I'm a left-wing abortion rights uh, advocate. And because I am, I took out an insurance policy. And if I do some really creepy, sick little things, they're going to give me a second, third chance. Well, the laws uh, don't apply to them in any which way. The actual laws of America or the the, the moral laws that of Judeo-Christian civilization, they're above it. I don't even think they, vi- they think they're violating the laws. They just think they don't apply to me. What what I what I, I do think is the right. loss, as I remember it, you know, it was a while ago. I don't think it was just coming out now. It was a while when her when she was on the tour. I think she she said he was gross. I think she even I, I'm doing it by memory. I think she she implied it was a a type of intimidation more than just physical creepiness. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm putting my head right on your head. Ha ha. I'm in your. I'm in your space. And that's well, he's the kind of guy to do that. I think Rich Lowry told me, I'm sorry, Rich, if he wasn't you, uh, but he was kind of would come up to you as a senator and you'd ask him a question. And then he'd he'd be the kind of guy grab you on the shoulder. Yeah, that's exactly what he did, as I remember. Squeeze really hard. Like, yeah, I'm answering your question. I remember uh, because uh, she had a really I had a bad, really bad bike accident. So I was I was interested. She did. She was really, I mean, I think they had to reconstruct her shoulders or something with screws. She was really injured and she was frail and she was in pain. And he came up and he, I think he came from his usual, what, he was like a little uh, B, BF-109, huh? He came in from a back attack and, or maybe it was a frontal assault, a dive bombing assault. And he comes in and grabs her, her shoulders, I think that were reconstructed and then he does his little thing. And then we're all supposed to say, that's just good old Joe Biden from Scranton, Jack. Well, he was in heaven the other day, Victor, when he was putting on those presidential medal of freedom, he he got to, he was in his prime position right behind people. I'm sure a lot of women thought (laughs) on the one hand, this is a great honor. On the other hand, I've got to put up with Joe Biden's creepiness, but then they thought, well, the media will never report it, so yeah. it won't be that bad. Well, Victor, let's uh, get out of the creep factor. Let's uh, cross the ocean to Europe and the European Union. And here's Europe on the edge, uh, except for France, on the edge energy-wise, beholden to Russian natural gas, having uh, in Germany, for example, having self-destructed its own internal energy system. And now they're at a very difficult crossroads overrun by a green mentality also layered that onto everything. But in the face of all that, here's a headline. And I'm reading from uh, Legal Insurrection. Good friends up there. Great website. Uh, European Union votes 
to classify natural gas and nuclear as quote unquote green energy subhead environmental activists decry the plan as quote greenwashing and quote fossil fuel and nuclear energy. So, you know, Victor, even the the bureaucrats in the European Union uh, have <laughs> got like to know a, that you've got to have heat in the wintertime, right? It reminds me of the barnyard wall and animal farm. All animals are equal and they wake up. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. And all non-wind and solar is bad, but some non-wind and solar is okay, better than others. So they've changed the rules because they had no choice. And Germany and most of Europe's got plentiful coal and they have abilities to process it and use it in a way that is not as environmentally destructive as it was in the past. But when you get to natural gas, it gets a little stranger because none of them say that carbon monoxide or the smoke or the soot is a, is a danger. It's just the heat is what they object to, even though it's a clean burning fuel. And so now that's okay, and they have some of it, but they have to import most of it. And then nuclear doesn't, I mean, it's the actual emissions are not that hot. So it's a clean, it's a clean fuel. And yet they don't, they won't want it, I guess, because of Three Mile Island and Chernobyl and all these things that have happened. So it also then sort of makes us ask the question, who are they? Remember that question, the wild bunch, when they said, they, they, they. Right. And I think right. And and finally, uh, what's his name? Edgar, what's his name? The old man says, who are they? <laughs> they, they're very well, you know, who are they? And so who are these people, these green people who say greenwashing and and want to live in Germany or live in a European country or live in the United States with, what, 50 percent of the present grid working and shut down and just rely on wind and solar? Who are they? And I think if you would do a deep, I think they represent Germany's 1.36 or something fertility rate. And these are usually, usually prolonged adolescent. This is the Western disease. Jack, that is threatening the entire West and the westernized world, whether it's Japan or Europe, the United States. And we know what it is. It is a prolonged adolescent that goes to the university, gets imbued with all these radical ideas by tenured professors who have jobs for life and are not worried about, you know, going home and looking at the 7-Eleven inventory that they manage for the next day. It's guaranteed income. They pontificate. These young kids slap it up. They go get their apartment. They don't mow the lawn. They don't worry about getting the septic tank pump. They don't do any of that. They just live in their apartment. They have their bicycle. They bike three or four miles away once in a while. You know, if they have to go, they rent a car. And they're numerous in Europe. And they have counterparts in the United States. And they say to themselves, we don't use much energy. And so they think everybody should should live like them. The farmer, the, the lumberjack, the mason, everybody lives like them. They don't need it. So right. when they say you're greenwashing, they say, we don't need natural gas. We don't need coal. We don't need any of these fuels. We can get by. Yeah. And what they mean is our lifestyles, isolated, self-contained, irrelevant, are perfectly sustainable. But, yeah, based on coffee and cupcakes. Uh, yeah, that's that's phone, their that's their phone. Yeah, it's crazy. Give, give them a cell phone and coffee or Starbucks, and they're fine. But 
tell them, well, where where are you going to get the glass in the windows at your Starbucks or the plastic cover for your cell phone? Or where, how did you be able to walk down there safely without a police force? And all these people other than you live normal lives and they have families and they, they have homes and they need energy. And, yeah, and they need fossil fuel. Uh, that That's a product for everything in their life yeah. on top of it. It's yes. crazy. I hate to call it fossil fuel. Well, Victor, let's talk about the border agent, quote unquote, scandal. And let's get to that right after <laughs> these important messages. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S., still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. At this point, I do want to encourage our listeners, as I, I do every week, some of you don't listen. 
but you got it. You got to go visit victorhanson.com. Uh, it's a, a plethora, a cornucopia of, of uh, Victor's writings. And you will soon discover that you can't read all of them because they're classified as ultra and they're exclusive to that website. There's a lot of ultra content Victor writes every week just for victorhanson.com. It's tested out. Five dollars, five measly bucks, and experience this additional writing and wisdom from Victor. You're going to like it, and then you should, I recommend, subscribe. It's $50 a year. So that's victorhanson.com. As for me, Jack Fowler, I work for the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. We are determined to strengthen civil society. And if that interests you, please visit centerforcivilsociety.com. And I also write for the center a weekly email newsletter. It's called Civil Thoughts. I think it's light, airy, fun, about a dozen, 13, 14 recommended readings every week. No risk, no asks. You're not putting on any lists, no fee, free, civilthoughts.com. Sign up. So, Victor, the border agents, the men, <laughs> the whips, they're whipping, and they didn't do anything. No, they, they were, did, Jack. But you they didn't were read still. The report. No, yeah, no, t- no. T- they, one twirled his reins unnecessarily. Yeah. He twirled it at a distance. He held it out and twirled it, and that gave off a threatening I don't know what it was, threatening wind or something. And I'm doing this, I think, by memory. But one of them, one of them committed a felony. And the felony was as these Haitians were swarming illegally across into the United States and his horses were scared and they were trying to use long runs. Remember, they in some of the pictures, there were women. Yeah. One person, one said, you don't use your women. Or he said something like, this is why your country's SHIT shit. Because you use your women like, you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, don't don't use them as a barrier to get into my country. And this is why you're, and that was the, the offense. And they twirled the reins. And so they used uh, inappropriate language by saying the word SHIT. And one guy, as I said, he... He twirled his reins and they were rude you know, to these lawbreakers. And uh, there was a lack of uh, what what would you call it? Leadership or lack of uh, control, a lack of responsibility. And remember, Joe Biden said without any evidence that these people, I think I'm quoting him. Didn't he say they will pay? Mm-hmm. They will yes. pay. So there were I think everybody should remember uh the context, 15, 20,000 people from Haiti come up uninvited at a time of a pandemic with no vaccination and no tests, you know, no thing around their neck or in their pocket saying I'm negative. And they swarm illegally in the United States and an outnumbered group of Border Patrol who ride around the border and along the Rio Grande, they are overwhelmed. And a lot of women try to get into the climb up on the banks and the horses get scared and they have these very long reins that they use to rein in the horses and they're jumping up and down and the media says they're being ripped, lies of course. And Joe Biden said, this is outrageous. These people will pay and Mallorca's, remember that? He got on the wagon last summer. 
And of course, when we all said and done, they went on investigation and the Border Patrol was innocent. And we understand that they couldn't say they're innocent. So they said that one person said S-H-I-T and said, this is why your country shit. That was one felony, I guess. And the other felony was he didn't need to twirl his reins. He twirled them in a threatening manner. Didn't hit anybody, but he didn't have to twirl them. That's not in the rule book. And so think about it. You're you're faced with mass illegality of these people. Trying to hold back the tide. They have no respect for the United States. The first thing they're going to do as would-be Americans is break the law entering your country. The second thing they're going to do is break the law by illegally staying in your country. And the third thing they're going to do is probably have fake ID. And the fourth, become a victim. Yes. And all of a sudden, we're going to go after these. And, you know, this is very important because some studies show that on the actual border, not just the administrative, but about 50 to 70 percent of the Border Patrol are minorities. And many of them are Mexican-American. And they're some of the most capable, patriotic people in the world. So when Biden goes after the Border Patrol and he wonders why he's losing the Hispanic vote, is it Mayo, Mayo Flores' husband is a Border Patrol agent? Yeah. So he's basically saying to the Hispanic community, if your husband is on the border and he does his job and the media feels that he shouldn't do his job, we're going to concoct some, we're going to first declare him guilty and try to ruin his viability, his career. But if we can't do that under further investigation, we're going to come up with some stupid little you know, incident and we're going to justify the fact that we didn't give him due process when we accused him of something. And how's that going to go over with people? They're sick of it. I think that, you know what, it really introduces a larger subject that I think everybody listening really knows. And that is this. Joe Biden is not a nice guy. Never was, never will be. He gets up there and you look at his eyes and they tighten up, his face tightens up and he starts screaming and, he's, and he gets angry and he says really mean things about people. And he, he says lies and he attacks the Supreme Court overseas or he says, I'm going to take Donald Trump and beat him up at the gym or he talks about corn pop or he, he's not a nice guy. And when he did that, this is outrageous. They're going to pay. It was really uh, people... They're not stupid. They have. They don't have amnesia. They remember that, and that is incrementally, constantly, insidiously driving down his approval ratings. People say, you know, I remember that about him. I remember his blowing on that little girl. I remember the corn pop stories. I remember his latest outrage. And we haven't even talked about the ten-year-old rapist victim that had to go to Indiana for the abortion. It may well have happened, but what a lot of people have pointed out in the media, then if if the president's going to bring that up and accuse conservatives Mm -hmm. or creating the landscape for that tragedy to happen, then they'd better give the details. And so far, they haven't offered any details, i.e., who was the rapist who did that? Is he facing any consequences? Because that's what we want to know. If a 10-year-old girl was raped and impregnated and had to go to another state to get abortion, well, if you're going to use that as a political weapon, that incident against the state, I guess, of Ohio, then you have a moral obligation to say, and this person, we promise you that the person who did that horrible crime will pay, and we have him in custody. 
but they didn't. And as far as I know, they didn't. Well, the criminals are are the protected class increasingly. First of all, if there is truth to the story, and as we've seen so many incidents in recent years, Covington boys, etc., you know, things like that. When the truth comes out, it doesn't fit the, in, the initial narrative, which is usually a leftist narrative. By the way, speaking of criminals, Victor, you know, we have a, a, this case in New York. Guys owns a bodega. He's attacked. He defends himself and he's arrested and he's put in Rikers Island and he's a $250,000 bond because of pressure he's gotten out. But the instinct is to punish the good guys and uh, genuflect for the bad guys. Is well, you know, a- there's two immovable objects that are, and you don't, there's a force in a movable object and you, and you don't know what to do and they're colliding. So on the one hand, you have citizens who are terrified to go out of their homes because of this crime, violent crime spike after the woke revolution, the quarantines and the Soros' DA and all of these contributing factors. I mean, they're in the news, this poor man that was, what, 73 in Philadelphia and a gang of six young teens, both boys and girls, attacked him and killed him like he was a an animal. They just butchered him and they hit him with a traffic cone till he was dead. He went, sent him to the hospital. He died in LA. The guy parked his car and they, they went out. They just pick up any news account. And it's almost right. every, every day. Right. Pe- random people. I mean, there was a, a very upscale restaurant in Chicago where a guy ran off the road trying to steal a Lexus and ran into people while they were eating. So this is increasingly common. And people know there's nothing that's going to happen. Either the teens are not going to be arrested, or if they're arrested, they have a long felony record, but they're not going to be prosecuted, right. or they're going to be out. And so they have to, to make the necessary adjustments. If they're older, or in many cases, female, and you hear them talking all the time in news accounts, they don't go out. They're prisoners in their homes, because we don't care about them. Joe Biden does not care about these people. Lori Lightfoot does not care about these people. She wants to care about the criminal and contextualize the violence, excuse the violence. And then there is the other type of person who says, I have to go out. So what am I going to do when a bunch of teens run up to me or somebody hits me? Well, I'm going to arm myself. But if I arm myself, then I might have to use it. If I have to use it, the whole weight of the criminal justice system is against me. And at best, I will go broke with legal fees. And at worst, I could go to Rikers Island. So that's what it's troubling everybody. And, right. and you get the impression, I don't want to be conspiratorial, but this left-wing assault on the Second Amendment, I'm thinking of all the problems that we have the right to bear arms is not, I mean, I'm not speaking to myself. I'm speaking as an American citizen as exhibited in polls, but it's right. it's down to about 10. In other words, inflation, gas mm-hmm. prices, crime, all, and then it's, it's the Second Amendment, gun control. But when you look at all the ways you might reduce violence, gun violence, other than outlawing a particular weapon, there's a lot of things you could do. You could make it a felony to possess a a handgun, for example, if you had a felony record. 
You could just say, you know, if you're a convicted felon and you have a handgun, you're going to be arrested and you can be incarcerated for a year. Or if you use a weapon in any sort of crime, you'll have face five years. But we won't do that. We won't do that because that would arrest a particular groups that would be considered disproportionate right. demographically. So we can't do that. So we can't address the, the felonies. So we go after the misdemeanor. It's some guy in Michigan in camouflage that goes out, you know, with semi-automatic AR-15 and shoots a bunch of, I don't know, varmints. And then, you know, we some crazy kid gets a hold of one. But the the, the actual number of violent shootings we know are uh, committed by young people against other young people and not in a going into a high school and shooting a bunch of people. That's terrible. Right. That probably attributes 50 to 100 a year. We're not we're talking about nine, 10,000 a year. And we can address that without taking away the weapons of Americans. And then you would say, well, the left knows that. Mm-hmm. So why why do they keep doing this? Why don't they just say, OK, let's have a grand compromise Joe Biden always talks that he's bipartisan. He wants to compromise. Why doesn't he just say, bring in all the Republican senators and House members, and we'll tell you what. If you guys say that an 18-year-old can't buy an AR-15 till he's 21, then we will have a federal law that says, you know, if a convicted felon is in the possession of a weapon, he will go to prison for at least one year, no bail. They wouldn't do that. But that would be a start, wouldn't it? And they'll never do that. Because for them, there's something there that it's an elephant in the room, but there's something there. They do not want a lot of law-abiding citizens to possess capable firearms. Right. They do not want that. That's really scary. That's really scary because that's the first thing that totalitarian governments have done in history. The first thing they go after are registered weapons and they try to confiscate them. Right. Victor, I had to go to New York City last week and I had to take the subway. I had to. And I I knew I was going into this. By the way, we've said this before. It's not good. It can get a lot worse. And it has been a lot worse. I I lived through 60s and 70s and 80s in New York City. It's going to get there, Jack. Yeah. Well, it's friends, people who listen. It can get really, really bad. But calculation there, thanks to the you know the stop and frisk policy that was finally implemented. Um, even Bloomberg admitted there were probably sixty thousand people who were not murdered because of that. New York, at its highest rate in the early nineties, the murder rate had reached about it was like twenty six hundred people were murdered in that calendar year. Never mind all the rapes and, and etc that happened but you know why shouldn't i why shouldn't i be able to protect myself you in, in the subway but i can't i can't i i uh, i'd be the I'm, criminal for doing that i'm out in the middle of nowhere jack and i have four dogs and my wife and i take a morning seven o'clock a.m and an evening 7 p.m walk just around i mean we have 41 acres. We walk around 20. It takes us about 18 to 20 minutes, the circumference. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. And we're unarmed. Sometimes we forget even to bring our cell phones. We have dogs with us. And I would 
say that one out of 15 evening walks or early morning walks, that would be two a month, there is something irregular. By irregular, that means that a neighbor says somebody had just broken in and stripped all of his copper wire out of his ag pump, or there are bins now. Think of this. Our own property, the neighbor has taken bins and filled them with rotten raisins, so they weigh a 1,000 pounds and put them across the alleyway. Yes. And then I saw them, and I said to him, what are you doing? And he said, we have to stop these people somehow. They put logs across the huge, big telephone poles across the alleyway so that the people cannot drive in, these people being criminals. And I had a person come into my driveway and say, you know, I need to walk around your place. I said, no, you don't. Well, I'm looking for my three-wheel vehicle that was stolen. Well, then you find the, the story is that he stole it. And he was trying, he was, he lost it in an act of theft. And so I would say that in the last five years, I've seen the following a dead dog or two with a rope around their neck from being used in dog fights dumped. I would say I've seen a semi, semi truck on blocks that was stripped. On I your can, property. Yes. Or on our alleyways that are, that are right, shared. Between, right. Yes. I have seen, I can't even count the number of people who have been uh, in the process of injecting or using drugs or fornication, but I cannot. And then I've had people uh, with a semi-automatic weapon. May Wasn't there a dead not, body? Didn't yes, there was a dead body. And that shut our place down. I don't want to get into it, but that was ruled a, uh, a suicide. But at the time, it was, there were a lot of unusual circumstances that were very tragic, but the body was in a car at 105 degrees for two days. Oh, yeah. oh, so, oh. so I've seen all of this and I always ask myself, and when I walk through this beautiful almond orchard that we own, I look at the ground and I see almost nightly Food, butts, marijuana butts, used condoms, used toilet paper, tissue papers with body fluids, uh, abandoned, you name it, all over the ground. I see broken bottles, so people come in there. So my point is this. If I were to be armed, and I thought about it, and I have a lot of guns, but they're all long guns. If I were to work, have a, a handgun... I would say of all these incidents, once or twice a year, I would have had to point it at somebody. And what would have happened? I think that I don't know if it would have escalated or and I don't know if I don't do that. Well, I'm going to be shot sometime. But I do know one thing that I cannot call law enforcement to come out and protect me. They won't be out there in time or they're overburdened or they'll just say it's a trespasser. But I don't know who any of these people are. They have never asked permission I don't know why they think they can just drive from town and park in your orchard and commit a felony or do something. I do know that anything that is of value, whether it's a brass valve on a drip line or it's copper wire from a, is being stolen. Put it this way. Anybody who drives out to a person's farm, enters it illegally, tries to escape notice and stays there for more than 30 seconds, has a uh, a nefarious purpose. They're not out there collecting leaves for their for their leaf collection. Put it that way. Right. 
they're not studying the size of the almond crop. And that's what's really scary. And so I think everybody what, has what, an what, urban what, urban counterpart of that, and they don't know what to do. At right. some point, do they have a rendezvous with a bullet or a knife? Right. And if they're afraid that they do, should they go through the long process of buying an automatic handgun, learning how to use it properly, learning how to store it in a home with children around, getting it licensed, getting a concealed permit, carrying it with you, knowing which person you might have to draw. It's a lot of responsibility, but a lot of people are asking themselves what to do because they don't feel the state can protect them or wants to protect them or think they should protect them. They think, well, you know what? You've got too much money or you're overrepresented or you're privileged. Mm -hmm. Kind of coming to you. Yeah. And the, the final editorial comment here is, If your discourse and your narrative is you, 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 you're privileged, you're you have too much uh, privilege, you have too much money, you're the wrong skin, you, 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 that filters down. And people say, if I attack that person, then there's going to be little social or political or legal consequences to that because everybody thinks that that person is a bad person. Right. And so. That's what happened after, especially after George Floyd, when when everybody started to, I mean, George Floyd was many things. I felt bad when I think Officer Chauvin shouldn't have kept his knees so long on him. But, I mean, he was a convicted felon. He put a pistol into a pregnant woman's stomach in a, ho- right. in a, in a ho- home invasion. Home invasion, right. And yet you see him with angel wings on. Right. And so something happened to this country in this bout of insanity since May of 2020. And everybody could predict what was going to happen, given the discourse against the police and the romantic notion that anybody who commits a felony is a victim, you were going to see more people committing felonies and you were going to see less people trying to stop them. And when you add into that formula, the George Soros profile of the proper prosecuting attorney, which is not prosecuting and no bail and letting people out under the guise of COVID. You got what you have, you have right today. We got, it was inevitable. Yeah. And now the citizen is saying, the government is saying to do you, and I'm not, I'm not, I want to be clear to the listeners. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making this up. When Joe Biden, remember he said specifically about a handgun. We don't, you don't need a, was it nine millimeter? He said, you don't need a handgun. He was, it wasn't just right. So they do not want people to have the choice to, to defend themselves from violent criminals. And if you right. do do that, you're facing the whole weight of the criminal justice system that pivots against you. Right. Take you're, one for the team, Jack. That's the idea. Well, we're going to get into another crime thing. But uh, if I may, and I've said this before, taking one for the team means in my own family, not my current family, but my brothers and sisters, et cetera, growing up in the Bronx meant in living in a quote unquote good neighborhood, two parents, both mugged, three of my four brothers mugged, two of my sisters raped, car stolen, house, excuse me, apartment broken into. And that was typical of New York. You, and took you, had, no, you, you had no you recourse. Lot. Yeah, you took a lot for the team. Well, it's but so did a lot of it, it was in a proximity of uh, two blocks of my home. 
uh, growing up. I knew you know what you know, four, you know it's four so people weird. who were murdered. You know, so I got it's, you remember when uh, Ken Deep, uh, not Professor Kendi, it was Ta Nehisi Coates was the heartthrob of the bicoastal wealthy mm-hmm. white progressive left. And he wrote that, you know, the talk he talked, you know, he had to have every African-American young person had to be warned by his father that the police system would go after him at some point. Right. Not that 50 percent of African-Americans would commit a felony and therefore it would be very you have to be very vigilant that human nature is frail as it is. They people might overreact. None of that contact context, just the straight they're racist. They're going to go after you talk. And I wrote a column for National Review. And I said, I had a talk. Well, my father was up with my mother and he, he was in Oakland and he was confronted. And my mother was in a state appellate court judge by four or five African-American males who were going to rob them. And so my dad was a big guy, but he, you know, he was 60 or something. And he said, well, what do you need? Tell me what you need. And so my wife can get out of here. And so he gave them each $20 and they left him alone. And when I was a graduate student, I had zero money. And so I lived in a place called East Palo Alto, which was right on 101. And at one point, a guy put his hand through our apartment. There's another guy and I rented it. He was a kind of a weightlifter. He was kind of a good guy. And we took a bat and hit the hand and never saw it. Although I went down to the local liquor store to get a Coke a week later, and I see this guy with a bandage on the same hand we hit, and he throws a beer can at my head. And so another time I'm riding my bicycle to Stanford University at, you know, the intersection of 101 and University Avenue, the gateway to East Palo Alto where I live, and a carload of young people come by, and they physically try to take me off my bike. And because I had no money and I thought I have to have this bike, I clutched it as if it was a holy cross or something. He couldn't get yeah. me away and I was kicking. And then people saw that. The third thing I'm going to say is that my wife worked at the Veterans Hospital and she got very close to, uh, I would say, special needs people that had psychological or even things like Down syndrome that were adults. And one time we were walking down University Avenue and she was talking to one of the people she saw that was a patient. And a lot of people were making fun of him, uh, young teens. And she said, oh, I know him. So I walked over and, uh, you know, I said, you better stop that. That person's disabled and got into a big ruckus. But my point is this, uh, Based on these experiences, I said a lot of people have a talk too, Mr. Coates. They have a talk that say it's not racist. They just say that if you go into a particular neighborhood at a particular time, you're going to be profiled and there's going to be a particular profile. It's it's not a stereotype. It's based on arithmetic logarithms and you better be careful. And you should tell people that, that are young and unacquainted. And that's called the talk, just like you're the talk. And I got so attacked by the left, said I was a racist, I was horrible. But I believe that was true, that every person should tell a young person, do not drive in Oakland after 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. No matter what color you are, do not do that. Don't go on the BART way in the morning. Don't do it in the early morning. Don't do certain things. And uh, that's considered racist. 
Yeah. Well, what does that mean uh, when people say that? And what are they trying to advance that you're not supposed to think that way? You're not supposed to tell people that you're supposed to. Is it sort of like the city of San Francisco when people on the BART were attacking people and they would not release the videos because they felt to release the videos? That is, the actual historical occurrence might represent an overrepresentation of black teens, and therefore it would commit, it would contribute to racism. So, therefore, they would rather, you know, take a chance with the victims, you know, not knowing who might attack them. This is all about, it's all sending a message. And the message is, well, you follow the law and you're a bourgeoisie uh, person and you're not poor and you can be, you're expendable. You can take one for the team because we're not going to we're not going to worry about you. We're going to worry about the perpetrator and the social economic conditions under which prompted this noble person to turn bad for a nanosecond to do something to you that your social economic forces have done something to him. His his is concrete. Yours is more nebulous. But nevertheless, you're guilty. That's the message. Well, Victor, we're going to talk a little more about crime. I have a reader question that was sent in, and then we'll uh, wrap up this uh, broadcast. But we'll get to that question right after these important messages. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. So we're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show, again, recording on Sunday, July 10th. And this podcast episode should be up on the web on uh, the 14th, July 14th. Our mothership is uh, Just the News, which is has been founded by John Solomon. You should check that out, justthenews.com. Also, while you're checking things out, hey, if you're on Twitter, uh, you should follow Victor at VD Hansen. And then I've already talked about VictorHanson.com. Oh, yeah. If you're on Facebook, great group of people, the Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club. It's not formally affiliated with anything Victor does, but good folks who uh, who put up and find a lot of uh, material that Victor has written in the past or appearances, radio show, you know, tapes, et cetera. So that's Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club. And you have this VDH's Morning Cup. That's to be found on Facebook. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Now, let's get into a, we have a letter from Bill Stacy of Lexington's South Carolina, and he emailed me and he's a big fan of the podcast. And he said, I'd like to suggest a topic for discussion. And here's what he wrote. 
it's a big jump ball. The criminal justice system has become a hugely profitable industry. All the highly paid lawyers, prosecutors, judges, etc., have no interest in seeing crime disappear. Think how many people would be out of work if crime suddenly stopped tomorrow. Bailiffs, clerks, law enforcement, bail bondsmen, analysts, prison guards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Laws are written by lawyers for lawyers. They have nothing to do with reducing crime or protecting honest citizens, not to mention the left's efforts to break down civilization through increased crime. Victor, what are your ideas on the situation? And before you answer that, I might say just personally, there's some stuff in here I would disagree with and some I, I would, and there's a lot packed in here. But I think what Bill Stacy here is asking may indeed be the kind of thoughts that are on represent the thoughts of a lot of folks. So uh, what, what are your thoughts about this, Victor? Well, I, I grew up in a, you know, pretty wild place, southwestern Fresno County. It still is, or it's worse. And I went to a high school where it wasn't a picnic. And so I asked myself, what kept things normal? Why in 1966 could you walk through Salma and not be attacked? And the answer is the eternal answer across time and space throughout the century. It's called deterrence. And everybody understood that if you committed a crime, that there would be consequences. And the consequences would be multidimensional, Jack. Your name would be in the local paper, whether you were 18 or not. It would say, Victor Hansen, age 15, if I didn't do this, but it would hypothetically say, hey, Victor Hansen, age 15, was caught at the Salma food market shoplifting. And then your family would be held in shame. And then you would be sent to the Fresno County Juvenile Hall, which wasn't a picnic. And so nobody wanted to do that. And so there was a deterrent and crime was very, very low. And so when you systematically re remove those deterrents from human nature, you say that we're not going to have any shame culture. That's a puritanical fossilized relic out of our racist, sexist past. We're not going to do that anymore. And we're going to consider why that person hit you over the head with a two by four and what were the social economic reasons why he did that. And then we're going to ask, did you do anything before he did that? Were you in a place you shouldn't have been? Should, did you give him a dirty look? Did you do something? And then we're going to give you a second and third chance. When you put all that, that's what the person is writing about because these are the expensive bureaucracies and agencies and institutions that were the alternate form of law enforcement, the non-deterrent, then what was the net result? The net result was rampant crime. And that's where we are today. And the irony, of course, is that this was all dreamed up by liberal, by coastal elites, and the main victims of it are inner city minority people. That's where crime is the highest. They are the most frequent victims, like the 73-year-old poor man that was killed in Philadelphia this week. And all you have to do is go to Google News, and even the left will start to report some of these things because it's getting close to home. As you notice, this crime is going out from the inner city. And what the tragedy is that very liberal people live in the big American blue cities, Baltimore, Chicago, Washington, Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Houston, et cetera, Austin. And when that 
criminality reaches a point where it starts to hit people other than minorities, and these are very liberal people that should be shocked, but they're not, that the victims of their own ideological experimentations are poor people in the inner city. But when it starts to affect them, then you'll see a gradual turning on George Soros's uh, entire theory of criminal justice. Victor, I'm just curious, as we close, uh, your your mother was a judge. Was she involved in criminal? Um, yeah, yeah, she was. It was. She had a very strange, you know, people say, well, you grew up rich or what? No, I didn't. It was it was very strange. My grandfather, who was born in this house where I'm speaking in 1890, had three daughters and he didn't know how. And he spent his entire life. He inherited 40 acres and he bought his brother and sister out. And he didn't get out of debt with his little 120 acres for until he was in the 60s. And he didn't think anybody would take it over. So he had this weird idea in the 30s that his three daughters would go to college and therefore they would have skills and therefore they could keep the farm. So he mortgaged his farm and he sent my mother to the University of Pacific and then to Stanford. And she got two BAs, one from UOP and one from College of Pacific at Stanford. And then he wanted to go to law school in 1946 when she graduated. And then he took his other daughter and he sent her straight to Stanford mortgage. And then she got a master's degree. And then he had a third daughter who was severely crippled with polio and they tried it and she couldn't work. And so she came back home and he paid for her to learn how to make Afghans on a huge loom. But the point is, they all came back to this little farm, and even though they they had been at Stanford, they I don't think culturally were were comfortable, and they married people from this area, and then we lived, and then we, there was no money, so we were in this very strange situation where I was growing up, and my mom had a degree, law degree from Stanford, and my aunt had one a master's, and she was a college teacher, but. There was no money in farming, and my father was trying to farm, and he was trying to be a high school teacher and then a football coach, and and we we lived in this little farmhouse and helped my grandfather get by. And she did this; she raised. She didn't. Nobody believed you should just leave your kids at home. So she stayed home until I think I was eight or nine, and she was in her forties. Then she went up and to the local court of appeal was a legal researcher then she was a principal attorney and it was years and then when she was in her 50s all of a sudden they needed women i mean that was the big thing to appoint a judge and here was a woman who had done all this appellate court judge she was from stanford she was a democrat but she had she was on a farm so she wasn't frightening to the right she knew all these conservative people in the area three kids her husband had a good so they pointed her a superior court judge that was a criminal judge and she was juvenile court judge for a year and then she was made an appellate court judge i think she was a second woman in the state but then very tragically she got a brain tumor in her mid 60s early 60s and fought it for two or three years it was a meningioma that was supposed to be benign but it turned out to be a rare malignant meningioma and killed her and the whole family had died early. Her sister had died at 49 of breast. They had a gene. All three daughters died of cancer. Wow. But that idea that he wanted to, it was very strange. I'll just finish that he went through the depression and he had said to me, I don't think the small farmer is going to survive, but I think the land is very valuable for people to live on. So I've got to figure, and I don't think we have business sense to get big and corporate. So I've got to have, 
the next generations have to have off farm income. So he inculcated, you've got to go to college. So when I grew up, my mom would say, there's two things you have to do. You have to preserve this farm and this house and this, your grandfather's house, and you've got to go to college. And that's the only way you're going to do it. And you've got to do farming and college. And the irony was that when I started to, to do that in the 80s, they were the most antithetical things in the world. Every, yeah. every attribute that made you successful as a farmer would ensure your failure as an academic. Everything that you were taught to be like and to act like an academic would ensure your failure as a farmer. Plus, your, your crops, raisins are not exactly the, the most no. profitable crop. And being a classics professor is kind of... Uh, I mean, uh, when uh, I was 26 and I had my PhD and I came home, uh, believe me, when a guy, I won't mention anybody's names because the people or relatives are still here, but when somebody takes your irrigation water and he's stealing it and he knows it's stealing it and he knows you're not going to do anything and he knows the ditch tender is not going to do anything... And you come up as if you're a professor and say, wow, you know, this is an ambiguous situation. And I think that I want to see, I want to see you emote and what is your position? And then we can do this and we can have a discussion and we can art. That's not going to work. It's not like, that's not going to work. You have to say, uh, you do that again and you're going to yeah. regret it and yeah. you're not going to do it anymore. And you you stole my water, so I'm taking yours. I'm taking it right now. What are you going to do about it? That's how you do it. As, that's why uh, academics are so ill. And I was ill prepared. I, I mean, I had grown up that way, but I had been brainwashed through, you know, eight yeah. years undergraduate and graduate. It took me a whole year or two to be electric shocked back into the real world. Normalized. I yeah. never I quite fit in either world. I wasn't a very good academic and I wasn't a very good farmer. And as a victim, I can plead victimhood. It was because of my upbringing, Jack. Uh, well, Victor, I love your your nasally uh, academic uh, mockery voice. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very funny. Okay, so we're going to close out as we normally do, thanking our listeners for listening, whether it's on. Oh, wait, I forgot. You, I'm you eating a grape right now, so I feel like I'm oh. to the farming. Um, well, sound. good. It only costs a dollar a grape. Uh, yeah, right almost. So, uh, I think we mentioned before the 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 wild bunch on this. This particular yeah, I did. Part. Oh, so that was Edmund O'Brien. That was Edmund O'Brien. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the, the name old, of the actor. As the old guy. Yeah, he's 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 terrific. But thanks for listening, folks, no matter what platform you use. Those who use Apple Podcasts can rate this uh, podcast, Victor Davis Hanson Show, one to five stars. So, uh, hey, go ahead. Uh, give it five stars. We hope you will think it merits five stars. I th it merits, merits 10, but they only give you five. And there are there's the opportunity there to leave comments. We do read them. And here's one. Well, I'll read two quickly. Brilliant podcast. Professor Hansen is down to earth, brilliant individual, and his podcasts are timely, well-researched, relevant, and insightful. Highly recommended. This is signed Dump Delta. And then uh, <laughs> Peter, uh, no, this is Peter 64750519. Simple. A sane voice in a crazy world. Why is the grand jury investigation of Hunter Biden's tax fraud taking so long? Well, that's a question. But you know what? We'll talk about that on the next podcast, which will be soon. And we thank you for listening. But we'll be back again soon enough then with another episode. 
of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thanks for listening. See you next time. I hope you'll listen in next time. And thanks again for listening in this coming. If you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters, millions. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why does the IRS target you and not millionaires? Here's the reason, because millionaires have tax lawyers and you don't. You'll pay up plus interest plus penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need it now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor, like a preferred direct line to the IRS. They know which agents to deal with and which ones to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. Schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. Call one 800 245 6000 again call 1-800-245-6000 or visit tnusa.com slash victor